What's going on, Juvie listeners? Welcome back to another Juvie Saturday. We're here with a very exciting guest. Excited to dive into everything that you clicked on this episode about. But before we do that, if you guys are listening on any audio platforms, listen, we want to go top 10 in the country. We're top 50, so make sure you hit that download button. Leave us a great review. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. Like, comment, share. This can be an episode that you're definitely going to want to share. Right, Josh? It is true. So, Josh, without further ado, they've done all those great things. Who are we chatting with today? Today, we're talking with a very interesting guest. He is a six-time bestseller. He is an he was an F-18 fighter pilot, and now he is an international business advisor. Everyone, this is Ed Rush. What's up, guys? How's it going? Good to be here. Yeah, we're very happy to have you. Um, yeah, so as we mentioned in that intro, um, as of right now, you're an author, you are a business advisor, um, and you used to be a Top Gun fighter pilot. Uh, so that was initially the reason why we reached out to you, because we think that's a very, very cool career that we wanted to talk about. Yeah. I think before we dive into all those exciting things, something you mentioned before we started is that you failed kindergarten. So I'd love to just take it back to there. Yeah, what did yeah, what did the growing the up look like? The origin story. Let's yeah. take it back to... There's a moment in your life when you realize you're not as smart as you are. Mm. And a lot of people experience that in adulthood, and I experienced that when I was six years old. So <laughs> I went to a Catholic school. By the way, this is like in the late 70s. Okay. And so the Catholic schools have changed since then. Back then... They had what was called corporal punishment, yeah, which means exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> uh, they beat you. And I had this nun, um, I think her name was Sister Kathleen. In my brain, I call her Sister Mary Elephant. That's what my brain calls her. <laughs> uh, and Any um, specific reason why? Uh, you, you just all of my memories from kindergarten were in this metal kitchen that served as like a detention room okay. yeah it's really strange like you know when you think back to when you're five or six you only have a few memories yeah all of my memories were in detention <laughs> no way. uh and so i did kindergarten twice which okay. is kind of embarrassing i have four kids now my my daughter just recently graduated from kindergarten with honors by the way and it's Very the easiest proud. subject matter right it's like stacking blocks not, yeah not yeah. even glue the classes are like colors blocks yeah stories you know what i'm saying like, yeah. how dumb do you have to be to fail that great <laughs> okay so this, is, <laughs> so this is interesting you said that you realized you weren't as smart as you thought you were but your resume would probably disagree with that so what do you mean by knowing you were smart or not smart what's yeah, that it's look interesting. Like? like when you start life and you have you have some failures you have to figure things out really quickly like yeah. you like yeah. start to like what do i need to do so actually what i started doing when i got into the first grade when i finally graduated from kindergarten I, I did something then that I actually did for the rest of my life. I didn't know how brilliant this was, hmm. um, which was I just looked at the people that I thought were successful. Like there were always kids in your class that were pretty good at things, good athletes, good at school. And I just essentially did what they did. I almost kind of like mirrored mm. their behaviors. And then there was always yeah. some kids that were just sort of like the screw ups. And I didn't do what they didn't do. And I teach people now like I, I teach hundreds of thousands of people across the world success principles and i'm like the most important success principle is find successful people and just do what they do yeah mm. it, it's like it sounds like the the most basic piece yeah. of advice and look at the unsuccessful people in your life like everyone has those like aunts or uncles or like friends or like you know and just don't do what they do it's like fundamentally like the yeah. easiest principle it was like it's a it's like a small page of a, it's not even worth a book it's like a small part of a book yeah you know but fundamentally that's what i did when i was a kid and that like worked out really well graduated from college went into flight school actually turned out i was a really good pilot you know yeah ended up in top gun like all from that dude that failed kindergarten so, that's a wow. very wise thing to figure out as a child to like yeah. to to follow the smart people and not follow the dumb people i feel like that's not something that i figured out it's it's super interesting too because fundamentally that was a failure right in my life it was early on which can be really formative for a kid and what you do with failure is like the most important thing in life, right? Yeah. So like, we don't, we all want to succeed, which is awesome. Uh, we don't want to fail, but when you do fail, and I've had some glorious failures, like in business, I've had massive failures, big dumb things I've said on stage, embarrassing moments, and I always learn more from those. Now, yeah. now, just so you know, like I'm not like after those. I don't want to fail. It's not like I'm trying to. Yeah. But when you do, first of all, I have a philosophy that if it's going to be funny later, it's funny now. So if you take your failures and turn them into a joke, it works out perfectly. So I'll give you an example. I walked onto a stage once in front of 300 people with my zipper down. No oh, way. Just, you know, I didn't do that on purpose. Okay. But I got out there and I realized, oh, crap, <laughs> my zipper is down. Now, yeah. I don't think all 300 people noticed, but at least 100, yeah. Yeah. you know, knew what was happening with Ed Zipper. Well, at the time, that was unbelievably embarrassing. But here we are five years Laughing later telling funny. the story yeah. about it. If it's funny later, it's going to be funny now. So I always think like in the moment, I'm like, this is going to be such a great story later on. Like, I, like yeah. it. That's, <laughs> so, I, I definitely agree with that because recently I got scammed pretty bad. I lost uh, $2,000 
and I also ended up stealing six hundred dollars for my biz for my company. Oh, my, my uh, and the social security. Social security gone, money really? gone. Yeah, it was really bad. Um, but I made jokes about it now. I made jokes about it like right afterwards. I was like, oh, this will be a great episode for, of Juvie. It's right. Um, so it's like if you can laugh about it, it kind of takes away from and, pain. And by the way, now you figured it all out. You got better passwords of security or whatever. Like you learn things in that process that yep. not only you get, but like other people hear that yeah, story too. Totally. Exactly. So yeah. so yeah, like I said, I'm not asking for failure. Like, you know, I'm not like praying, like, please bring some more. But those lessons are really cool. And if you can make light of it and make it part of your fun like. Yeah. You know, so let me ask you this. So the the time that we're growing up in is slightly different from when you were in (laughs) our shoes, right? I mean, I mean, in the kindest way, right? It was only a couple of years ago. But I think what's interesting is that, you know, when you're a kid, you're not looking, you're not scrolling on social media, seeing all these successful people left and right. I think now something that we're having to grow up in is authenticating who did it the right way. How much of this is phony? So when you're saying, you know, look at the people who are successful and mirror what they're doing. If you were to come back and you were to be 17 year old in 2023, how would you best authenticate? Did this guy do it the right way? Is this a scam or I should actually mirror what this guy's doing? Yeah. So that's a brilliant question. So there's a guy that I got to know who bought a mansion or sorry, didn't buy a mansion, rented a mansion in Beverly Hills for like a year. Yeah. Essentially to pretend that he had a mansion in Mm. Beverly Hills for a year. And so you, and so when you, when you learn the behind the scenes part, you're like, wait a second, what else isn't true? You yeah. Know? And so I've been able to coach and consult like some of the biggest names in the world, dudes who are management people, p- people who are in leadership. What I found was a lot of people who teach things don't live the things that they teach. Yeah. And so that's why your question is so brilliant because fundamentally you want to walk with people who've walked the walk, talked the talk, right. been there, done that, still doing it, and like have got the lumps and the bruises and been successful through that. And what I can tell you is one of the most important things is longevity. So for example, let's say you have a person that you're following who teaches like financial stuff, how to invest in the stock market or crypto or like Bitcoin or whatever. You want to find someone who's like been at that long enough that they've got some ups and downs, they've got some bumps and bruises, and they have the story to tell that, right? So if somebody just on the scene for the very first time, you're like, "Mm, let's just see how long this lasts. So longevity is actually like really important. You got to have people who've kind of been doing it for a little while. You guys know, know this from doing the show, right? At first, you're kind of learning, you're getting Definitely. your questions right. You guys are in your hundreds, I think, at this yeah, point on yeah. the episodes, right? You pass about episode 50 and you're like, all right, we kind of have had this like figured out now. And you know, like, you think, you, you think you yeah. do, but you start to like, you start yeah. to understand your audience a little better. Like, For the sure. first question yeah. I asked you when we sat down before the show, this is the first question is to tell me about your audience. Yeah. You guys are very targeted as far as the people you know who the, you gave me two or three different categories of folks. And that's, you don't get that on the first show. Yeah. On the first year, you're like, I don't know, let's have a conversation. Yeah. Right. So my point is, there's like a little longevity there that's giving you like a little bit of wisdom. And that's who I follow. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, And I think it's hard because I think we see whether it's, you know, you put it in the fitness world, you're like, dang, that guy, you know, his physique. Liver King. Right. Liver King. (laughs) But then it's like, you know, after he builds this multi million dollar figure, then it comes out and it's all steroids. Yeah. And so it's figuring out who do you believe off the bat. And then it's like, then who do I mirror? And I think more than ever, you can buy anything at this point. You know, you can yeah. buy the verification, you can buy the followers, you can rent the mansion, you yeah. can rent the cars, the watches, everything. So I think more than ever, it's become, it's almost become saturated to see someone successful on social media because it's so normal. Yeah. You know, you go on social media, you can't scroll for five minutes without seeing the guy with the perfect six pack or the guy with the crazy watches or cars. And I think that's something that our generation is navigating is it's like, who do I trust? And I think, Gen Z, you know, a lot of people look at us as entitled, but I think we also value our time a ton. Yeah. We, we, we make decisions based off of some of us very fast. Some yeah. of us, it's very fast. But also a lot of us, it's like, I don't want to go and I don't want to get stuck in the nine to five. And my mom might look at me and be like, wow, you're entitled. You think you're, you think you're definitely ready for this big career. But it's also like, no, I'm going to put my time somewhere where it's setting me up for that. And I think that's something that our generation is navigating day in, day out as we see these successful people pop up. But also, success is falling faster than ever yeah. with cancel culture, right? We're seeing it. It's a very, very fast rotation right now, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a really, really interesting point. Like, you look at the liver, liver king example. Like, I can't tell you how much raw liver I've eaten in the last... I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't eat raw liver. Um, but um, I've seen some great parodies on that uh, online. But it is a question like, who do you trust, right? And so... so and what you said about about your gen, it's it's true. Like I don't want a nine to five job. Yeah. Like when I left the military, when I got out of the military as a pilot, I knew one thing: I'm not going to work in an office. Yeah. Right. 
So I started I started a business online. It was back in 2006 when the internet was kind of like in its in its infancy as far as e-commerce. I started a program online teaching people how to become fighter pilots. Mm-hmm. And, and next thing you know, it's a six-figure business. Like, wow. I, dude, all I wanted to do is make $2,500. I wanted to buy a computer, period. That was my goal. Next thing you know, it's over $100,000 a year. Ended up going into the seven-figure range, not with that business, but with several other businesses. But a year into me being like an internet entrepreneur, my mom calls me. My mom's like this wonderful person, really cares deeply about me. I just had my first kid. My mom goes, have you thought about getting a real job? And I was like, mom, you know my company just made like $125,000 this year selling products online? And she goes, no way. Can you teach me how to do that? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah. It was like literally, yeah. and, and what I knew is what you knew, which is I don't want to go into the grind, into the like nine to five kind of thing. So that desire is like far more common across generations. But the idea though is like back to the question, which is who do you follow? And I have a, te- I have a, a, pl- a technique that I teach. We don't have time to go through that, but, it, but essentially it sifts information. Most of the information that people distribute right now is all what I call reaction. So, for example, if you watch um, like a YouTube video and then you see the comments underneath, especially if it's a polarizing topic, all you'll get is hate, anger, and like frustration. Yeah, rage. yeah. In, and and that is like the lowest form of human communication. Then you have data, which people exalt like higher than almost anything, but data lays really low. Then there's knowledge, and most of what you see online right now in, is in those three categories. The fourth category is wisdom. Mm. And the fifth category, the highest on the pyramid, is divine wisdom, right? So if you can operate on the high part of that, you're going to win yeah, every time. And fundamentally, your job as a young entrepreneur is to find wisdom. Wisdom is someone who can look you in the eye and say, do this, this will work. Not like, I don't know, have you tried this? Or like, like I read this blog yesterday. Wisdom is like, hey, I've been there down that road before. When you do this, this will work. And that, by the way is really hard to find. And and it's yeah. almost impossible to find in a 55 second or less clip. Somet- yeah. Sometimes you catch yeah. it, sometimes you catch little 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 sn- snaps of it, but that often comes in like a longer form format. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like you guys probably listened to sermons before or like speeches before, or people's talks before where you're like, "Whoa." And all of a sudden your mind expands, and that's wisdom. And so if you're if you're 12 to 112 one of the most important things you can do is just immerse yourself. Like, say you find someone online you really, really like. That really kind of hit me. Just go, like, a little bit deeper. Read their book. Watch yeah. a 45-minute interview. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, go just a little bit deeper invest yeah. that time. And, by the way, that's good for your brain, too, to, to operate in a little bit of a deeper wavelength, too. For yeah. sure. And it's, it's something that we've talked about a lot on this show, that you can learn more from fails than you will from, from victories. Yeah. Um, a lot of the time and that's why I think with I I personally find more value in looking at people who have um, as you said earlier who have shown fails <laughs> and then been able to come back from those so like instead of watching somebody who's won every step of the way they don't know what it's like to lose and then come back so I think to to find wisdom from people who have been successful lost it and then come back from that that's the people you want to watch they can show you how to come back from a from a loss it's true and the other thing too is if somebody's won all of the way they're lying yeah you know so so it is nice to hear like i've got i probably know a hundred entrepreneurs who've gone bankrupt and come out of that they're some of the most fearless people in the world because they've been there yeah yeah they know what that's like hey i did it it's okay it wasn't as bad as i thought it was let's move on right and so when you have that part of your story it's the reason by the way when i speak like when I do my big, like tonight I'm doing an hour talk uh, for a bunch of business owners. I will tell the story of failing kindergarten. Yeah. Not because I like telling that story. I tell that story to be like, hey, this is a real story. You know what I'm saying? Like this has, its, has the, I almost killed myself about seven times in the F-18. For real. Like there were seven times where I was like, I should have just died. Wow. Like, wow. like just then. That made me a better pilot. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, <laughs> it makes the story real. I think especially in your case, when you're up on a stage in front of humans, ours is a little bit different. It's behind cameras. But I think... As soon as you and you start from square one, right, you go back to your first fail that automatically kind of breaks down the wall of relatability. All of a sudden, that person in the crowd is like, oh, I failed, too. He failed then. It's it builds like a trust thing, because I think a lot of the time and I feel like this as a teenager, we put these successful people on a pedestal. It's because a lot of them aren't sharing the day in, the day out, the times when they lost their companies, they went bankrupt. But as soon as they do, there's a trust factor. There's a relatability factor. And I think a lot of people misunderstand that to be like well they're not going to trust me i think there is there's a humanity thing that we trust 
We, when you see someone else fail, you're like, oh, I've done that. And then it's like, oh, wait, but if he failed and he won, then I can fail and I can win. It's you crazy. know? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like, I'll have people come up to me. I do, I do big business events. But at my business events, I combine, like, this whole spiritual thing and this conversation with God. People come up to me because I'll go, like, I'll, I'll talk to someone and I'll, like, directly, you know, this is your mission. Like, you can do this. And they'll go, but if you only knew, like, if you only knew me. And I'm like, trust me, I know you. <laughs> like, yeah. I've heard a thousand stories. And every single person has that inner voice that's like, if they only really knew who I was. Everyone feels like an imposter. But when you realize everyone feels that way, yeah. you realize, oh, well, maybe that's maybe I'm not. Like, everyone who feels like an imposter feels like they're the only one. Yeah. Until you realize that's the human story. Like, we all feel that way. And when you when you realize that, you're like, okay. I'm going to go for it now because sure. there's nothing yeah. holding me back. Definitely. Well, yeah. I think we could talk about this all day long. We definitely could. But I think we got to move on with the story <laughs> here. Okay, so you failed kindergarten. I'm assuming there's some victories coming. You play sports in college. What sport were you playing in college? I was a baseball player okay, in college. Okay, baseball player in college. And then when does this whole idea of becoming a pilot get introduced into your storyline? Yeah, so do you want the, like, I could do I could do the patriotic version or I could tell you the real story. I want the real, real? story. <laughs> yeah. So the patriotic version is like, I believe in America. Which I do, <laughs> but like, all right, so here's the real story. So I was at a bar in Annapolis. And I drank too much. And I was talking to a person there who was an instructor at the Naval Academy. And the guy walks up to me and he says, I know you. You're a Special Forces Marine. The truth was, I didn't even know what a Marine was. I didn't know what Special <laughs> Forces was. I didn't know any of the ranks. I didn't know anything about the military. I was an athlete. All I cared about was hitting a fastball, okay? And so he looks at me and he says, you're a Special Forces Marine. And I said, you got that right. <laughs> <laughs> and I, for the next 30 minutes kept telling story after story about these missions that I had gone on no to this way. guy. Okay, I'm not proud of the story. I'm just telling you the true story. Next day, I'm back in my school, and I was talking to a friend of mine. I said, dude, last night, and I started telling him this story. And he goes, that's crazy, because tomorrow I'm going to talk to a Marine recruiter. And I was like, you know what? I'll just go with you. Yeah. Let me just see what these people are really like. So I went with him. A dude was standing outside in the cafeteria. He had on this khaki shirt that was all like, you ever seen a Marine with that shirt's all pressed? Yeah. yeah. Pants are blue and this red stripe. It looked ridiculous outfit, right? <laughs> and I'm standing there talking to this guy who's a captain in the Marines, and he looks at me. He snaps, and he goes, you ever want to be a pilot? And I'm like, actually, I did. My grandfather took me flying when I was 11 years old. I was totally hooked. I didn't even know the Marines flew airplanes, honestly. I had no idea. He goes, he goes do you ever want to be a pilot? And I said, yeah, I do want to be a pilot. He goes, if I could guarantee that you're going to go to flight school, would you be interested in joining the Marines? And I'm like, hell yeah, I'd be interested in doing that. And I kid you not, two weeks later, I had signed my name on the dotted wow, line. Next no thing way. I know, I'm on, on my way off the boot camp. That's the real story. So it wasn't like patriotism. I became patriotic. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. It wasn't. It was a total whim. It was a total whim. It wasn't and even a dream. It was crazy. Like I actually had no. I had no. I was going to go play baseball. I was going to go like play minor league baseball or whatever. Next thing you know, I'm in boot camp. You know. Wow. Dang. Next thing you know, I'm flying airplanes. <clears throat> and it turns out, with all of my faults and failures, I turned out I was a pretty good pilot. Like I had natural gifting at just being able wow. to like maneuver the airplane properly. I had no yeah. engineering background or anything. I was a finance major, but I just understood like naturally my brain was really good at being able to take an airplane and put it into the place that it was and it all started out with a whim. Was there any boot camp you had to go through? Yeah, yeah. So Marine Corps boot camp is no joke. Yeah, how was that? It's legit. Okay, so uh that was it was fundamentally one of the most fascinating and interesting times of my life. It's really hard. Mm. It's like David Goggins type stuff. It's really hard. Like it's not as I don't think it's as hard as SEAL training, but yeah. the Marine Corps officer boot camp is legit. Up at five o'clock every single morning, you go to bed at eleven or twelve at night. You got to be spit and spit and polish. You'll go for like eight mile runs, like in full gear. Oh. You know, kind of stuff that I would it would like lay me out for. Like so a week at any at any point during this boot camp, are you like, oh, I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure about this whole awesome pilot question. Thing, you know? So check it out. So the first. The first two days, you're doing this like in processing. You're just getting all your paperwork done and getting shots and stuff like that. And I was talking to a friend of mine who became a friend of mine. Guy was in my platoon. And I said, what's your story? And he goes, I was here last year, but I got kicked out medically. And I said, what do you mean by kicked out medically? He said, I broke my toe and I couldn't finish, right? Yeah. So now when you sign up for boot camp, you sign that you'll be there for 10 weeks. Like you commit to being there for 10 weeks. Now you can quit. But it's not looked on kindly, and you cannot do anything in the military after you quit. Okay. Yeah. So, so the fir the second night you meet your drill instructors, who are badass. Okay, and they basically like scream at you, running around. Like yeah. they're there. It is like on, 
And I'm in the middle of my, this is in, in between my junior and senior year in college. And I'm in boot camp. And this dude starts screaming at me. And I'm like, this is the <laughs> dumbest decision I've ever made. Like, all my buddies are on the beach. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, my, my roommate in college that summer got a job with Budweiser. And he was repping Budweiser across Cape Cod, like, giving people beer at bars. And I'm like, That's dude, I so should be funny. Like, with my friend at the bar, you know? And um, so, on the f- second night, I, s- I went into the bathroom. They have these big porcelain walls in the bathroom, a tile. And I stood up against the wall, and I'm like, I'm going to kick this wall. I'm going to kick it as hard as I can, and I'm going to break my toe. No way. Because he said, if you break your toe, <laughs> right, you could just medically out-process, and, okay. you, and you're good. And I thought, oh, it isn't going to hurt, and I'll have, have a limp for like two months, but at least I'll get my summer back. And I kid you not, I stood in front of that wall for five minutes trying to figure out how hard I needed to kick it to no break, break my toe. And I thought, you know what? You can break your toe anytime you want, but you can't do Marine Corps boot. I'm going to do one more day. And I woke up the next day and I did one more day. And that next night, I stood in front of that wall for like three minutes. I'm going to break my toe, man. I'm going to kick this wall <laughs> as hard as I can. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do, let me just do one more day. Yeah. And I did one more day. Next day, I stood in front of the wall for about a minute. And then I never thought about breaking my toe again. I actually finished first in my class wow. at, at boot camp. And I stuck it out. It was very hard. But it was interesting that process of going through that thought process like i i had an out mm-hmm. if i wanted to like somehow some way i had that little voice in my head that gave me that out and i chose not to and it was i mean i think back and i'm like what if you had broken your toe what yeah how would that have changed the trajectory of your life yeah you know bailing on something that was that important so you know as you're watching the show like everyone has those break your toe moments every day yeah every st- Every single day, you have one of those moments where you can bail. Yeah. You know you're supposed to have a hard conversation with a friend of yours, but you don't do it. You know if you're in business, like you're going to have to ask for customers or leads or like ask to do the interview, you yeah. know what I'm saying, or like find the guest or po- make the post. Or maybe you're going to have to say something controversial, but you know it's true. Yeah. You know it's yeah. true. And you know it's true, but half of your audience is going to disagree with you, but the other half is going to love you. Yeah. And you know you need to go down that road and you need to say it. Like, we make those break-your-toe decisions, like, all the time. Yeah. yeah. You know? And, like, I could tell you one of the most important things. We were talking about your generation. One of the most important things you can do is just learn courage. You know? Just learn courage. Yeah. And courage is very different than the way it's taught, like, out in the social media world. Courage is nothing more than just doing what you know you're supposed to do. And sometimes that's really, really hard, and you make mistakes on that all the time. I do it all the time as well. But that one step, just not kicking the wall, dude, just not kicking the wall, will open up the door. Like, I'm wearing a Top Gun shirt just because I thought it was fun to wear a Top Gun shirt. I wouldn't have graduated from Top Gun if I had kicked the wall. Yeah. Right. You know, who knows what I would be doing right now? Probably nothing close to what I was doing. Those fundamental moments, though, are built long before, long before. Yeah. You know? yeah that's, I think, no, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say that with me personally, I'd rather go through something hard than experience guilt about not doing that thing. Yeah. Because I've, I've done that so many times where I'm like, dang, I quit and I feel terrible. I wish I would have just done something really difficult for a portion of time um, and then felt better about it in the morning, felt proud. Because it's always better to go through something hard and then feel proud instead of wimping out and then feeling guilt because then there's no satisfaction like at the end of the story. Yeah, I mean, if you look, like, have you ever seen the movie Braveheart? Like, if you grew up in that era... There's no there's no um, option for laziness. Like, yeah. if you didn't do it, you didn't eat. That's the way it was. Yeah. Well, our culture, like, you can push a couple buttons and have food show up at your door. Yeah. You know, which is fascinating. It's like 17 different ingredients from all these different places and all these farmers that worked really hard to create this thing that gets dropped off at your door. And then, like, someone two-star reviews the person because, like, it showed up five minutes late or whatever. Like, we live in the most comfortable society yeah. in the world. So you yeah. have to create like you have to create those moments now for yourself. Like, I'm, I mean, I went to boot camp, so like it was kind of created for me. But I don't do boot camp anymore, right? You know what right. I mean? So you have to create resistance, like moments in your life where you like have to do something hard. You yeah. know, <laughs> I was sure. just about to ask that because I think we, I think there's something so powerful about the one more. I think one more rep, one more mile. So let me ask you this: Our, I believe, our generation's the most comfortable generation. I think it comes from a generational parenting thing, right? So my parents' parents, there was a war, and then from there, they yeah. they made comfortable yeah. kids. And those parents, my parents, wanted to have, a, they wanted to set their kids as best as possible, as if their parents tried. Yeah. What that does is it makes a very comfortable generation. I think that's also 
frightening because at some point our generation comes into leadership. So I think, like, you know, you're talking about with DoorDash or Uber Eats. We're so comfortable, and I think we acknowledge that. I think a lot of us know yeah. how comfortable it is. But for the average teenager in America who lives a comfortable life, most of them, 99% of them aren't going to experience the boot camp. And I think what we see a lot is that, you know, the parents, they want to shield the kids. They want to they have that good childhood. They want to send them off to college. But at some point, you're 18, you're 20, and life hits, and you never experienced your, your version of boot camp. So what? how do people put themselves in situations like that to build the character responsibility, you know? Yeah. How do they put themselves in those situations? Awesome, dude. Awesome. That's a great question. So, so two things. First of all, I think what you just said about history is really, really spot on. So understanding the scope of history is really important for any generation and every generation. So where you said their parents were in a war and then we created this comfort. And what also happened right around the 80s is we used to have this ethos in our country about mission accomplishment and about like, you know, like hard work and that sort of thing. That flipped in the 80s. It turned into the value became safety. Yeah. So the number one thing, like if you raise kids, it's just keeping them safe. Like mm-hmm. whatever happens, don't let them get hurt. You know, so we like pad everything around. And so when you grow up in the safety bubble and then you experience the real world, which isn't safe at all, you're like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. So what you need to do, and, and I would give this advice from two-year-olds to 102-year-olds. So it's not just your generation, it's everyone. What I simply recommend is do some one thing every day that either just takes you a little bit out of your comfort zone, mm-hmm. requires a little bit of risk, and is it is there's a possibility that it might fail, right? Yeah. So like for a little while I was doing uh, jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I didn't really want to learn. I, I've had some friends of mine that are really good at that. But what I did like is there's always a moment every time you're on the mat where you're like, oh, crap. Like that, just overcoming that yeah. one thing is actually a really important thing to do, right? Some people go run triathlon. Some people go do CrossFit or whatever. Like if, you, if you've if you done CrossFit or some sort of workout thing, the first time you walk in that gym, you feel like an idiot. You yeah. know what I'm saying? All the movements are a little strange. Or like a little thing. Like every once in a while, I'll be in like a coffee place and I'll just walk up to someone and go, Hey, I'm 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 praying today. Is there anything I can pray for you for? Mm-hmm. And so every time someone will be like, "Oh my gosh, that's I, I, my aunt's sick or whatever," and I'm like, "Great, you want to pray for your aunt? Let's do it." Yeah. And next thing you know, I'm in Starbucks, like just saying a little prayer with somebody. Yeah. Well, I've had people say no. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, so what? Yeah. But my point is, like, if you could just do one thing, that's good. Just a simple thing, and it does. Like, I have a whole chapter in one of my books called "The Inner Warrior Miracle," which basically is doing that every day. It's just one thing a day. That could go wrong, mm-hmm. you know. And if you just do that, you're just beginning to train yourself. Everything about life is just training, right? Same in the same in the Marines. Uh, it's just a matter of just simply training yourself. And if you're training yourself to just take a little bit of risk, yeah, you know, you get some reward if you want to. You learn some ex- some experiences along the way, right? So like the praying thing, I used to walk up to people and go, "Can I pray for you?" And people would always be like, "No, that's weird. Why are you asking me that?" So what I do now is I just go, hey, I'm just walking, I'm just taking a walk today, and I'm praying for people. Is there anything I can pray for you for? Yeah. And they'll go, yeah, dude, if you could pray for my financial situation, that'd be great. Yeah. And I go, I'll do that. Then I go, you want to do it now? And and most of the time, people go, yeah, yeah, let's do it now. So it just I just learned. Yeah. A simple, softer way of communicating to people, but that just took risk. Yeah. Right. For sure. So there. Yeah, because I mean, if if you offer these two options to somebody who's never taken a risk, if you say, would you rather? sit on your couch and watch a movie where it's comfortable or go do something that scares you if they've never taken these risks and actually found the benefits from those risks they're never ever going to pick the second option because it's comfortable uh so i think that's why stepping out one time a day even if it's just something super small it can build that self-confidence the self-courage and also like help you in every decision you'll make throughout your life it's really it's really interesting like societally you were talking about history there's a reason why we love dystopian movies now because we don't have that. Like we used to have that. Like you used to wake up in the morning and there was a half decent chance you would get eaten that day by a wild animal. Right. Yeah. Like that's not happening here in Reading no. these days. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Not like not like I'm gonna walk out of the studio and get crushed by a mountain lion. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But that was a reality. And so they didn't need to be like, but now because it's almost like we know that's missing. All these movies, we're creating all these movies. Like, here's what happens when the zombie apocalypse, you know, comes mm-hmm. whatever. It's like yeah. fascinating study in human psychology. Yeah. But that tension is what creates what creates change, and change creates greatness. You know, yeah. For sure. Before we move on to the the fighter pilot story, I have one thing. <laughs> we were talking a few months ago. We had on our friends that they basically run the biggest Gen Z news outlet. They just got acquired by Morning Brew. And we were talking about because they both came out of college as entrepreneurs, didn't really have a direction. And we were talking about the difference between risk and calculated risk. 
Because I think a lot of the time, especially teenagers, they're like, risk. Okay, I'm going to go jump off this cliff in yeah. five foot of water. Yeah. It's like, well, that that's one type of risk. Sure, that's, that, yeah. that's stupidity. That's yeah. right. Yeah. right. Yeah. Then there's also the calculated risk. Like, how can I best set myself up for this opportunity that might still fail? Right. It's like, okay, so what they did, they would go out and they would network and they would meet people. They would meet investors. They were still going to take the risk at the end of the day. Right. They were still going to go out and they were still going to pitch this company. But they did A, B and C before they took the risk. Yeah. And I think there's something about calculating. Oh, yeah. When there's still failure on the option, you know? Yeah. And also have some reward at the end. So, for example, you guys started this show. When did you start? When did you start? March of 2021. So two years ago. So you and you have enough followers now. So let's say so I think on Instagram, you guys have about 15,000. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So statistically, anywhere between one and five percent of the population are basically complete idiots, right? So, like, <laughs> let's say it's one percent. Let's be very conservative with this. If you have fifteen thousand people following you, that means that you have one hundred and fifty people following you. Right? We're just bad people. Yeah. And that's being conservative. I'm not. And look, ninety nine percent who are watching right now, you're amazing. Yeah. But that means you're going to have negative people saying negative things. You said, um. Seven times I counted. Right. So, yeah. You know, someone's like, you said um. And I'm like, wait, what else did I say? Did you hear anything else? No, yeah. I just heard the ums. You didn't even hear the good stuff. You just right. listened for the ums. But you have people like that. So the moment that you walk into the studio, you're setting yourself up for criticism. Oh yeah. Right? That's risk. Yeah. Right? That's risk. Yeah, it's true. Like we've we've had multiple clips where it was there was this one clip. We got more hate on it than we've got on most other clips before. It was us talking about um, the online white pages, just like yellow pages, like yeah. phone book. We were talking about it and we said, it's the phone book of the internet. And then nobody chose to listen to that part of the clip. And then we had so many people who are older than like, do these idiots ever heard of a phone yeah, book phone before? Book. It's yeah. like, dude, we just mentioned we it. Just, we, yeah, we just, we just like, They on just that choose scale, to hear something that they It's like four like. million people. So it's like, oh, then we get 8,000 comments. I'm like, y'all didn't even listen to the didn't whole video. Didn't even listen to the you, whole you video. Just, you would think that before you made a comment like that, you would at least watch. But yeah. most people so don't. So it's you okay. Know a, a, here's a success secret, by the way. We're going to just share this one because this is huge. If you have, for example, if you have a book or a podcast or, or a show, like on YouTube, people can rate stuff. On iTunes, people can rate stuff. On Amazon, people can rate stuff, right? If you have between 5 and 15%, that's one star, you nailed it nailed it if you have zero you totally missed it and here's yeah. why any great message does two things simultaneously it attracts the right people and repels the wrong people mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. let me give you an example like three minutes ago i said you know i walk through starbucks and like pray for people the moment i say that there is five to fifteen percent of the people who are like i'm out yeah i'm out guess what that's fine yeah that's fine it's okay because there were people when i said that who were like oh i, I like that guy yeah. yeah. Right. And so what you're trying to do, everyone comes in apathetic. Everyone comes in and apathetic. But you guys have some like hardcore fans. Yeah. You make hardcore fans by attracting and repelling. You say things that naturally polarize and send the wrong people away and attract the right people to you. Yeah. And that's why I always tell people who have shows like you do, if if you're getting some negativity, you're actually doing the right thing. Hundred percent. Yeah. Because right? if you're, if you're getting somebody who leaves a one star review, chances are they're not going to come back for another episode. So you, now you've just dodged someone who's yeah, not going to enjoy you your didn't content. Didn't want them anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. you didn't want them anyway. Like if someone's going to write a one star review for my book, I, w I don't want them to come to my event. Yeah. You know, <laughs> to be true. part of my like yeah. my tribe of people. It's better. It's better off to move away. Just write the one star review. Move on. Definitely. You know. Yeah. All right. So you survived <laughs> boot camp and you didn't kick the wall. So I'm. I'm we're already in here. But you did mention how did you avoid dying seven times while being a fighter pilot? Yeah, I have so to know. so um, I'll give you I'll just give you the short version of of um, the first time. So that when you're a marine fighter pilot, you train with the navy, and we land on aircraft carriers. Yeah. So marine 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 pilots fly on aircraft carriers just like the navy does. So there are nine countries in the world that fly off of aircraft carriers, like France, England, China, just to name a few. The only country that does it at night is the United States. Okay. Mm. It's crazy, by the way. It's dark. It's yeah. like you're in the middle of the ocean. It's dark. Yeah. It, it, by the way, when you're flying at night over the oceans, the stars reflect on, onto, the, onto the ocean. So all you see are stars. It's wow. the craziest thing. Yeah, I was going to say, because the sky's going to be the same color as the messes water. with your brain because you actually feel like when you're flying and you see the stars below you and the stars above you, your brain's like you're flying straight up. Wow. There's yeah. actually dudes that have pushed their airplane right into the water because they thought they were flying into the stars because no of their way. reflection. So anyway, you're flying out, of, out here at night. Well, the first time I did my first night carrier landing, 
I experienced what's called vertigo. So if I was to define vertigo, if I was to stand you in the room, blindfolded, spin you around about 30 times, that really dizzy feeling, that's vertigo. Vertigo is just a problem, but in an airplane, it can kill you. I, I went into the clouds 10 miles behind the aircraft carrier, and I, I, hit, I got hit with vertigo. And actually, what I felt like my airplane was turning to the left. And for like 30 seconds, I'm battling sweats pouring down my face. And I'm I'm trying as hard as I can not to violently turn my airplane to the right. I actually thought I lost my instruments. So I actually thought I was turning to the left. And I'm like trying to turn the airplane to the right. But I'm fighting like the inside of me is fighting to like come back. And I'm trying to turn my airplane to the right. And it, just as I was about to like violently turn my airplane over to the right, which would have killed me, by the way, I heard a, a voice. I heard like this voice. And the voice was the instructor the voice of my instructor in my, the back of my head. And it was saying, trust your instruments. It's like the first thing they teach you in flight school, trust your instruments, trust your instruments, trust your instruments. And I'm sitting there in the, in the cockpit battling vertigo, trying to figure out if every, if like my brain is screwed up or my instruments are screwed up and making that decision. One of the hardest decisions I ever made, I ended up trusting my instruments. You could tell because I'm sitting here alive, but I mean, I broke out of the clouds behind the aircraft carrier about to execute my very first night carrier landing and I was the most relieved pilot at seven miles behind the aircraft carrier because all I cared about was the fact that I was still alive. Wow. Yeah. It was a really ugly landing, by the way. <laughs> this, <laughs> I mean, it was a really a bad landing. But that's yeah. just crazy because, I mean, it is the story of just trusting your better judgment because at that point you knew you're like, I'm having vertigo. I need to just trust the plane. So in Top Gun, Maverick says, he said, in the first Top Gun, he says, you got to trust your instincts. If you don't trust your instincts, you die. Yeah. And I'm like, mm mm. Nope, that's not true. <laughs> no, <laughs> Maverick would have died like a hundred times. Okay, so yeah, that, the, I guess. <laughs> Do yeah. not trust your. Don't instinct. trust you. I thought about this. How realistic is the Top Gun movie yeah, to being a real fighter? Well. So the first movie, not at all. Like the first movie was one of the most unrealistic fighter pilot movies. Maybe, maybe a little more realistic than Iron Eagle, but not much more. Okay. The second movie was very realistic. Like they went out of their way to make it real. And the all the actors are sitting in the back of F-18s. Like, they're actually flying in the back seat. Yeah. yeah. So you remember the scene in the movie where the dude passes out? Mm-hmm. I guarantee you that happened. In real life, wow. I guarantee you he passed out from G because you pulled too much G. So what happens when you pull G, just to kind of give you the, the scientific definition, if you're going to pull eight Gs, which is what an F-18 can typically do, about eight Gs, that's eight times your body weight or <laughs> or eight of you on top of you. So when you pull that much G, your face gets like pulled down like this, your yeah. eye sockets and everything. Everything comes down. Mm. But your bones and everything stay put, but your blood wants your blood's liquid, so it starts to pull towards the bottom of your oh. extremities. And when you lose enough blood out of your brain, you pass out. It's just yeah. a safety mechanism. Your brain has created that like, hey, there's no blood. Stop the mechanism. Like yeah. stop everything. And so dudes will pass out in the airplane. And um, so they train you. To like how to overcome G and how to not pass out, but I guarantee that actor passed out. Wow! Because yeah. you can make like if I'm flying someone in my backseat, I can make them pass out in seconds if I really, really? want to, just by just just cranking it. Hang on the G. Like if I pulled the stick all the way back and I didn't give anybody any warning or anything like that, it would take exactly two and a half seconds for the person in my seat to pass out. That's that's a lot of power you can. <laughs> yes, in the, I know. In the I, I never did plane. it in real life, but that's crazy. Um, but wow. yeah, and so you learn to you train yourself to do that. So they had like in the in the plane in the movie when that dude passed out, it was very realistic. The only thing that wasn't real realistic about that movie, the new movie Top Gun, was the mission. Mm. Remember they went like yeah. bomb the volcano or whatever, or whatever that thing thing was you know in today's day and age we would have dropped a, a gps guided weapon from like forty thousand feet so like the mission itself wasn't all that accurate the yeah. valley and everything but it was pretty cool it's movie. fun though it's a yeah. cool movie by the way and i'm going to spoil this movie for you if you haven't watched it but you should have watched it by now if you haven't when they brought the f-14 back in the end i was yeah. like oh come on <laughs> that was awesome that was like a little have you seen it? No. Oh, Come on. Only seen clips. I'm sitting here right. like, I didn't spoil it that I'm much. Like, I hope no one asks if I've seen this. No, I loved it. It was one of my favorite movies of last year. It was so good. It should have been the best picture. Yeah. It should have been. The, I saw the other best picture movies. I'm like, come on. Yeah, no, it so. deserved it. I, I'm, I, and I'm biased, but that doesn't mean I'm not right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you could picture. be right and be biased. <laughs> um, I wanted to know also in the movies, when like you're shooting at each other in the planes, how accurate is it actually like do you actually miss that much or is it more like accurate like is it easier to hit people than it looks like in the movies yeah so it just depends on what you're shooting so so the missiles themselves 
are actually not made to hit the airplane. So the so the missiles are designed to get close enough to explode next to the airplane. So all the missiles have sensors all all the way around them. Sorry, I'm gonna knock over your your uh, TV there. It's a beautiful logo and everything. <laughs> so um, the the missiles are designed when you get within 50 70 meters to sense the other airplane and explode a- outward. Okay, that's why they call them a missile, not a hittle. This is my worst <laughs> joke. It's my worst joke in the arsenal. Just so you know, that <laughs> that's a such a good joke. It's it a lot it. better after that, but. If you're going to shoot the gun, like if you're going to shoot the gun, the bullets have to actually hit it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting. All the missiles are designed with a lot of air inside huh. of them because you have an airplane that's flying anywhere between 300 and 700 miles an hour shooting another airplane that's flying at 300 to 700 miles an hour, which is maneuvering and often maneuvering in three dimensions. Hmm. So it's one thing like, for example, if I was shooting at a car, well, I know if it's going to turn, it's going to turn right or left on the same dimension. But if you have an airplane that can roll, pull G, that's very difficult for a missile to calculate. Yeah, right. A- as it's turning, as it's pulling in multiple vectors, missiles have a very difficult time catching all that, especially when they're like going really fast too. And so they design a lot of air inside the missile. Yeah, I, that's a good point because if you're in a if you're in a car chase. There's a zero percent chance that car is going to end up in driving above you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, then in yeah. a plane, you could just be flying, and then oh, there's a plane on top of me. It's easily the hardest thing to learn as a pilot, by the way, is that third part, that third dimension. Yeah, it messes with your brain. Even trying to think about it, you're like, yep. And when, by the way, when you figure that world out, like that's like you know when people talk about 4D chess, when you figure that out as a like I was a, a I was an instructor at, like at the highest level of dogfighting in the Marines, so I was like one of the guys like the leading guys to teach when you learn that it's unbelievable like your brain just like when you can start to predict things in the three third dimension with speed and stuff like that yeah awesome so okay so i have to ask what was the craziest (laughs) mission you went on while being a fighter pilot oh man okay so um craziest mission so i was in iraq so I i was flying and fighting in iraq um there were when i was there there was not a lot of action for the fixed wing aircraft mostly because of the size of our weapons. So there was a lot of insurgency. There was a lot of fighting on the ground. Um, but there wasn't a lot of like us dropping stuff just because our weapons are huge and the collateral damage is massive. So easily, easily the craziest mission I had was my first. And that's because for the very first time in my life, like I had the chance of getting shot mm-hmm. at, you know, you do all this training and you get, pre- you pretend which is basically big make-believe, like that you're actually getting shot at. But then you go, and I was in Iraq, and our base is getting shelled, and you know there's dudes out there that have weapons yeah. Yeah. that can shoot you. You know, so that, like, stark reality is, like, really, like, wait a second, dude wants to shoot me? Yeah. You know, you're like, yeah, because it's not yeah, that they can shoot you, so they you're want You're in to. war, you yeah. know? And, and, and by the way, as I'm describing this, uh, you know, it's like you're there. Like, I, I, all I can tell you is the first time when I was on base, the first time a ro- we had a rocket attack, which basically did shooting rockets into the base, it took like a few seconds for my brain to kick in. Like, that's somebody that wants to kill you. Mm. Yeah. It, it's such a foreign thing to go yeah. through your mind. Like, somebody wants to kill me. Why would they want to do that? Right <laughs> yeah. But then you're like, well, you're kind of like here in their country now. So, yeah. And you're also you know, trying to get that. You know, back. you're trying to, you know, like, hey, you know, it's war. So, yeah. so the first mission, I, I get on the runway and I'm like, all right, this is for real people can try to shoot me here so you do this technique um called an unrestricted climb where you take your f-18 full afterward boom forty thousand pounds of thrust you start going down the runway and you take off you don't take off like a normal airplane takes off like if you've seen like the airplanes take off at like you know the airport they just climb into the air but if you're in war what you do is you take off and you go about five feet above the ground you put your gear up and you put your flaps up and basically you accelerate about that far above the ground and you're just hauling and eventually you get 300 miles an hour, 400 miles an hour, 450, 500 miles an hour, and you're like right over the ground, which is pretty fun, right? Yeah. See the ground fly. And then all you do is you pull straight up. And just as you pull up, you pull out an afterburner because most of the missiles chasing you are going to be heat, heat-seeking heat yeah. missiles. And you pull straight up and you look down. You look down again to see if there's any smoke trails coming after you. And then when you get above about maybe 10, 12,000 feet, which happens pretty quickly, you're pretty safe. Because you got plenty of room to maneuver if you need to. And that was easily the trippiest moment in combat was the very first. Wow. Now, the crazy thing is, a month later, 
I'm taking off, not even thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really strange how even life and death things become very routine if you do them just over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah. So, like, if you yeah. want to loop it back to, like, we talked about risk, the first time you do something, it's really hard. Yeah. And the second time and the third time, but eventually it becomes really routine. And you're actually far more lethal when it's routine because you have so much more mental ram to to give to a lot of the other other yeah. tasks, you know. Yeah. So. It is crazy when you actually like comprehend war because I mean it's something we hear about so so much. Yeah. And you never I mean as much as you can imagine it, as much as you train for it. It's very interesting that even when you I mean you trained for this, right? And then you're there and you're like, yeah, that guy wants to kill me. Yeah. Yeah. That is a cr- it's no longer the nerf battle, dude. Yeah. It's like, no, this is really life or death. So let me ask you, most people are never put in a situation where it's life or death. How, what did that teach you and how has that been displayed in other parts of your life oh man that's an interesting question i've never really thought about that like there were times in the airplane that i should have died like that story that i right. told you and there was definitely some contemplation after that like what would have happened if if it had gone i think i always had um i, I don't know how to describe this other than the fact that i just knew i wasn't going to die you, you know what i'm saying like you just know well, I, I don't, don't know but i'm going to nod my head and think yeah. yeah i just like i knew I uh, call it destiny or whatever you want to call it. Now, I, I mean, I could have been wrong about that, but like, I just knew, like, I had this overarching, overriding confidence, and I don't know what it was. Maybe it was my like my fundamental like religious belief or whatever. I just knew I had more. Yeah. <laughs> so I was really never nervous. The only time I was ever nervous is like right after a near miss, where you're like, oh my gosh, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. yeah. You know, like when you're like, that's crazy, but. I was never nervous before flights. Even that combat, I was I was on edge, but I wasn't like, you know, worried about dying or anything yeah. like that. It was just part of the mission, you know. Because I feel like for me, if I had a near death experience like that, it would be very very hard to get back in that plane. So was that something that you had a struggle with, or was it like you you almost died? That means that you have to get back in the plane. Like that's your second chance. Yeah. So the wonderful thing about the military is they kind of make you. <laughs> that's I guess <laughs> you know like, what I mean. Very so true. Like, you don't have, you an have you just go do it again. Yeah. You just go, go one more time. Like the I when I landed on that aircraft carrier and rolled out. So by the way, a little part of that insider story. There's four wires. One it goes one, two, three, four. You you want to land between the second and third wire. That's like a perfect landing. I landed so short I like rolled into the first wire. Oh. Yeah. So you have a taxi director, a dude wears a yellow shirt exactly that color, who's like in charge of getting you out of the wires. And normally that guy's right there. But when I landed, dude was like two football fields away that's when i realized how bad of a landing i did no way but i did that landing came off the side of the aircraft carrier runway my feet were still bouncing on the cockpit floor i was so like nervous and my stomach was in a knot and they literally taxi you right up to the launch pad put the jet blast deflector up you go full throttle and they launch you off the front of the aircraft carrier again it was maybe 45 seconds to a minute next thing you know my dumb butts back in the air <laughs> and you're having to land again and you got to do it again do you then get in trouble for a bad landing or is it like if you landed you landed yeah do you do they'll yell at you they'll like they'll they'll like yeah and if you do that like if i did that bad landing two or three times you're done dang you're done that's it and that's it holy cow hope you enjoyed your training <laughs> that's you know? crazy. and you're, but, you're done but the thing about it is the genius behind the system is you don't have time to think about it so yeah. like i play golf my my kids play baseball. Both of those sports, like my son, my son the other day I was watching him play baseball. It was a two and a half hour game. He had three at bats. Basically, every like hour, every fifty minutes, you have an at bat. So if you have a bad at bat, you have fifty minutes to like process all that crap. Same with golf. You have all this time to like think through all these things. The beauty of the training system in the military is you're back at it, back yeah. at it. You know what I mean? You don't even have time to think through like, oh crap, did I just about like. Whoosh, back back onto your mission which again like talking about success and entrepreneurship like one of the worst things you can do is think about your failure like just move on yeah you got it you, you figured it out like hey you know if you got to admit a failure publicly like i'm sorry i said that i didn't mean to offend everyone yeah you know and yeah. move on move yeah. on move on next so one of my favorite success uh tips is fail fast next fail fast next if you're gonna fail take take a two days failing instead of two years failing you know yeah. if it's a bad business idea like people come to me with their business ideas all the time i'm like that's not a very good idea and they're like well, what about persistence i'm like yeah persistence is great with good ideas yeah. you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. but that's not a good idea like yeah. move on yeah and so one of the one of the things that i've been very good at doing is like 
fail fast, next, fail fast, next, yeah. fail fast, next. I probably had 10 failures for every success, but at the very least, I didn't prolong those. Yeah, you know? that's so. good. Yeah, because you can have a terrible idea and keep trying, and then it's never going to do anything. <laughs> and then persistence was just a waste of time. I mean, I've had, I've had people that paid me to coach them who, who came to me with an idea that I told them straight up, I don't think this is a great idea. Um, and they said, but I want to do it. And I said, I respect that. I'm going to help you do it as the best as you can. And I said, but if it doesn't work, let's try to find something that does work. And yeah. they literally looked at me and said, well, what about persistence? And I'm like, it's a great trait. It's a great trait. But you should never persist in something that's not going to work. Yeah. You I know, like it. just well, move on. I'm sure there's so much more we could cover. And I'm sure there's going to be some in this book. So I'd love if you could share with our audience. Yes, sir. What's, yeah. what's in there that... If people, they want a longer podcast and they're not going to get it today, we're at our yes. cap. So what can they read in there and what can they learn about? So this is my latest book. It's my sixth book. It's called God Talks. Um, fundamentally, remember when I told you there's different information flows? You've got uh, reaction, data, a knowledge, wisdom, and then divine wisdom. Fundamentally, I, I've learned to live my life connected, connected to God. So I developed this process, this conversational process where you ask God questions and get answers. And by the way, as you're watching this, it doesn't matter your belief system. I, I, I feel crazy saying that. Um, I've had everyone come to my events and read my books, atheists, Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, Christians, skeptics, agnostics. A lot of people that come, frankly, are agnostics um, or people who don't even know what to think or believe. Uh, and the process that I teach, it, it works. I've literally had atheists, this is crazy me saying this, I've literally had atheists at my events come to me with, with a notepad and say, Ed, I'm an atheist, and I have two pages of notes from God. Mm. How does that work? And I'm like, you're the atheist. I don't know. You <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I can't explain it. You know. Um, and so the process I teach will work for anyone. But really what I teach you how to do is how to start and journal a conversation with God. And if you feel like you have a purpose that you want to accomplish, or you feel like you have a mission, or you're not sure who you are, or you want to maybe heal some of your past. Like a lot of people that I know have had traumas in their past or things that happened to them i certainly have i told i told the story actually in the very first chapter of the book and it's fun it's fast i wrote a bunch of the illustrations they're pretty hysterical That's too awesome. um and yeah i always just challenge people get the book read the first chapter if it's not for you return it but most people who read the book end up doing the exercises and when they do the exercises you will experience a profound profound acceleration in your life and remember what i said like it's I'd rather take a year to do what it takes normal people 20 years to do. Yeah. This book will teach you how to accelerate your success really, really quickly. I mean, amazing. that doesn't sound interesting to you guys. I yeah. Don't know what yeah. does. A lot of so if you guys wanted more out of this podcast that you didn't get today, first link in the description is going to be Ed's book. You guys yep. can click there, find it on Amazon, I'm sure. Yeah. Easy All web, the website is God. The book's called God Talks, and right. the website is GodTalks.com. So you guys, when you go there. You can't forget it. It just God. went number one bestseller, right? Yeah, it was number one in several categories when wow. we when we launched. We're about a month out of out of launch, so amazing awesome. guys, it's cranking. Yeah. And the and the goal Go is we it. only want to sell five hundred million copies. That'll make it ten times the greatest uh, nonfiction bestseller beside the Bible. So. Five hundred million. I mean, that's just that's like, it. Yeah, it's chill. It's easy. Another one on the. <laughs> well, Ed, thanks so much for yeah, thanks, hopping guys. on and chatting with us, you guys. All of Ed's social media's book will be the first links in the description. Go check them out if you guys are listening. You want to hear more, see what he's up to day to day. Go check that out for all of our listeners if this is your first time. And you guys aren't tuned in, make sure you follow, download, subscribe. We appreciate you guys tuning in. That's a wrap. That is a wrap.